Well, good morning. I have to be honest with you, this is the third week that we, um, we've been speaking on this topic, and I never quite know how to greet you after such scary music. So I, I feel a little awkward. So last week I said to the, the, the Ross campus, I just said, so happy Halloween early. We're all equally freaked out um, by the creepy music. Um, but we're, we're jumping into some, some difficult topics uh, during this series. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan I'm the campus pastor at our Ross Township campus, so um, Kevin Smith, who is the campus pastor here, he's there uh, today, so um, I really enjoy getting to be here with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, or if this is your first time here, welcome, very glad to have you here. Uh, We are dealing with um, some very serious topics in our series, Light in the Darkness. There are things that um, you and I suffer from that many of us, or I should say most of us, don't really know what to do with them. There are things that people that we love, the people that you love and care about, things they suffer from, and we don't really know how to talk about them. We don't know how to deal with them. We don't know how to talk about them. And many of us don't know how faith interacts with these things that are so hard for us to deal with. And so, as a result, those of us, those of you who suffer from chronic illness, mental illness, um, anxiety, and, and these other very heavy things, and for those of us who care for and love people who suffer from those things, because we don't necessarily always know how, how to deal with them and how to talk about them, how faith interacts with them, it can leave all of us in a place of, of isolation of fear, of embarrassment, and hopelessness. I hope at the end of today that we can come to to an understanding and to acknowledge that we have a good Father in heaven. (laughs) And that was his way of telling you that is so, all right? Okay, that is the truth. We have a good Father in heaven who will walk with you and me through every step of our pain. Now, I know that everybody in this room has been impacted by the darkness of suicide. That's our topic that we're talking about today. Everybody in this room has been impacted in some way by the darkness of suicide. We've known people, you've known people who have taken their own life. You've known people who have thought seriously about taking their own life. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, this is 2013, so this statistic's a little dated, but 9.3 million people in the U.S. seriously consider taking their own life. That's about 4% of the population of the U.S. So that would probably mean, no, actually this does mean that about four or five or six people in this room right now has seriously considered taking your own life. That's pretty heavy for us. I remember when I was 10 years old, 10 or 11, my mom got a phone call that my grandmother, her mother, had committed suicide. When I was 11 years old, my grandma took her own life. And I remember my mom struggling with that pain, with that guilt, with those questions that you can't answer. 
and watching my mom struggle through that as a kid. Now, also growing up, I had a cousin, and his name was Josh. I don't know if we've got a picture of that yet. So that's Josh, all right? That's me when I was probably 15. Now, I'm giving him a look that you have probably given your kids a hundred times, all right? And I'm sure now that I know my kids give me that same look. So I'll give you five bucks if you want to caption that and figure out what I was thinking in that picture right there. But that's my cousin Josh. We were 15 then. I grew up with Josh. We were best friends growing up. We wrote comic books together. Um, We would go out into the woods at our houses, and we would play war together. We would uh, create stupid home movies together. We had a great time doing that. Um, When Josh was 23 years old, he locked himself in a bathroom and shot himself. And Josh and his wife uh, was the first wedding I ever performed as a pastor, and his was actually the first funeral I performed as a pastor as well. The statistics on suicide are really quite startling. In 2017, there were 47,000 Americans who took their own life. 47,000. In that year, it was double the number of homicides in this country. Hospital admission for suicidal teens has doubled in the last 10 years. Teens who have attempted to take their own life has doubled in the last 10 years. In 2016, in that year particular, all right, suicide was the second leading cause of death of Americans between the ages of 10 and 34. And I know that the Coleraine community is no stranger to suicide to our teenagers taking their own lives. A couple years ago in the Ross community, it's a very small community, it's a small high school, there was a freshman um, boy, a 14-year-old, 15-year-old young man who took his life. And it rattled and it rocked that community, it still does. There are several reasons why mental health professionals tell us that people decide to take their own life. I want to just read a few of them here for you. Depression and mental illness, traumatic stress, substance abuse, loss, or in this one breaks my heart, the fear of loss, hopelessness, chronic pain and terminal illness, belief your life is a burden to others, social isolation, and a cry for help. Now, when I was preparing this message and just reading through these overwhelming statistics and these things about such a a hard topic, there were a couple of takeaways for me, a couple of things that I thought immediately that we had to acknowledge. One is that we have a mental health crisis in this country, do we not? We have a mental health crisis in this country, and we need to pay attention to it, and we need to seek help for it. We need to, to deal with it. And that's why White Oak has brought in Counseling Alliance, an incredible group of counselors who have, there's a table right back here, um, right as if you were to exit through these doors. They've got a table with some resources there. They were here last week. I believe they'll be here next week just to help resource you. All right, so don't miss that part. There's also an insert in your program. So I encourage you to take that out. That You were handed a program when you walked in. 
And on one side, it says suicide assessment. Okay, I encourage everybody in this room to take a look at this, to, to, to take it, to pass it along to your, to your teenagers, to your family, to take this very seriously. This is an important tool for you. Okay? On the other side of that, it says suicide awareness assessment prevention tool. Okay? This is a critical tool for us. Okay? There's a list giving you some awareness factors. Okay? Things to be looking for in the people that you love and care about. All right? To notice when people that you love may be struggling. There's a list of assessment tools. It's how you can kind of come around to someone, all right, and lift up and support someone who may be struggling. This is an important tool for us. We have a crisis. There's something else that kind of came, it just popped into my heart and into my head as I was preparing this message. We have a mental health crisis in our culture, but we, you and I also have an identity crisis. And we ask questions frequently. Our teenagers are asking it. Our aging parents are asking it. And that is, can my life get any better? Is there hope? Am I alone? Do I matter? Would anybody care if I was gone? Every person, every man, every woman, every person in this room, all of us are ultimately driven by four questions. And, and I, I was learning this this summer as I was sitting under some teaching by some very um, special men, and, and, they, and they shared these questions, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is true, and, and I, and I want to share this with you this morning. All of us are ultimately driven by four questions in this life. Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I belong? And how should I live? Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I belong? And how should I live? Here's our big idea for today. I'm going to encourage you to take some notes today. I think we're talking about some really, some really um, practical and important things for our families, all right, and for our community. But here's our big idea today, and I encourage you to write it down on the front of your program. Take your questions to God. Take your questions to God. John, uh, who, was a, who was a good friend of Jesus, he, he uh, wrote this, he recorded Jesus' words in John chapter 10, 10. And it really sets the stage for so much, but in particular for our conversation this morning. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now there's something there, there, there's a few things there that Jesus is saying that just, just really jumps out at me, and especially as we talk about this topic. One of the things that Jesus is, is stating there is, your life is not random. Okay, your life is not just filled with a, with a bunch of things that you either label as good or label as bad. And they just happen to you, and you've got to figure out what to do with it. And at the end of the day, you just kind of have to live with it. 
Jesus is saying, your life is not just full of these random happenings that you just got to suck it up and deal with it. Jesus is also saying, your life is not determined. Like, you are not determined to suffer. You were not determined to feel lonely or to feel desperate. Your life is not determined and laid out for you just to just deal with what's coming at you. Jesus is saying no. There's actually something that's far more powerful at work in your life. And it's far less complicated than us trying to sort out these, but why me and why this? And those are fair questions and God wants us to take those questions to him. But it's actually far less complicated than that. Jesus is saying, saying, there's actually two forces, two forces at work in your life. One is the evil one. It's Satan. He's a liar. And he will come in, he, he, he comes in to your circumstances and he wants nothing more for you then for, to take, for you to take these most important questions, these deepest questions that we ask, who am I, why am I here, where do I belong, and how should I live? And you're, the, the, the father of lies wants you to take those questions to any other place other than God. He wants to destroy your life. He hates you. And he wants to see you fail. And Jesus said, there's also, there's also a very good father in heaven. And he loves you. He loves you so much. And he wants you to bring your deepest questions. He wants every person in this room to bring the questions of who am I and why am I here? Where do I belong in this? And how should I live? And he wants you to bring those questions to him. Because out of our good father in heaven flows identity and purpose and life. And we find ourselves in very dark places, don't we? When we take our questions someplace else. Some of us, some of us, some of you, some some of us, we'll take our questions of value and of masculinity or, or beauty, and we will take those questions and we'll take them to our husbands, or we'll take them to our wives, or we'll take them to a girlfriend or to a boyfriend, and we'll take them to our husbands or wives or girlfriend, boyfriend, we'll say, tell me, tell me I have value. Show me how I, I'm a real man. Show me that I'm beautiful and desirable. And we will take those questions of value and we'll put it on a person. And I'm telling you now, your wife cannot answer that question for you, men. Ladies, your husbands cannot answer that question. There's not a boy and there's not a a girlfriend in this world who can take and answer those questions for you. Because I'll tell you this, and you know this, marriage is can fail. And boyfriends come and go. 
and you can lose a girlfriend. And then what do you have? Who's left to answer your question? Some of us will take our questions of purpose. We all have it. And some of us will take our questions of purpose and we'll take it to our career. Or we'll we'll take it to our role like on, on the basketball team. Or some of us as parents will take our, our, our questions of purpose and we'll put it on our children. And we'll say, in my career, I will find purpose. In my role, in my, in my abilities, in my athletic pursuits, I will find my purpose. In my children, how I parent them. And how well, and how they thrive that gives me purpose. But, but jobs can be lost. Factories close. And you can get injured or you can have a bad game. And then what? Your kids can go off the rails. And then who is left? What's left to answer our questions? Some of us, some of us will take our questions of identity and belonging and we'll take it to sexuality. We'll take it to sex, to money, to, to social media. And when we take our questions of identity and, and belonging, where do I belong? And we take it to sexuality or, or social media or money. The problem is we've got to keep going back to sex. We've got to keep going back to earn. We've got to keep going back to social media to get our fix and to get our fill. We've all taken life's deepest questions and we have thrown it out there for people and circumstances and abilities and experiences to answer. Now, I don't know this is going to bring you any comfort, but we're not the first people to do it. This actually happened a long time ago and set the stage for you and me. The writer of the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Old Testament of our Bible, tells us about Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve, as far as we can see, they didn't have any questions. Now, can you imagine that? They had this, the deepest, most intimate relationship with our creator in heaven that anybody's ever experienced, right? So, so they, they didn't have any questions because they were completely satisfied in their heavenly father. And do you know what the first question in the Bible is? Do you know what it is? It's, I'll, I'll give you a hint. God didn't ask it. In Genesis chapter three, the writer tells us, The very first question asked in the entire Bible of all of the books, it happens in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, called the serpent, asked this question. Are you ready? Did God really say that? Did God really say that? He asks it of Eve. Eve, did God really say that he is all you need? Did God really say 
that he's, he's got the best things in store for your life. Did he really say that? Eve, did God really say that you're his dearly loved daughter, that he delights in you? Did he really say that? And Eve took those deep questions that now, that when he sowed, that when Satan sowed that seed, Eve then immediately had questions, didn't she? And Eve took her deepest questions about identity and belonging and purpose, and she took them to the serpent. And then she took it to that piece of fruit, didn't she? And then Adam, her lover, her life mate, her protector, he took his questions and he took his questions to her. And together, they died. Sin and death entered this world. Now, and I know, and I know logically, and maybe you know this too, that had they not, you know, it would have been the next couple. Have you ever thought about that? Like, had they not, if only they had not taken those questions to the, to the wrong places, it would have been the next couple. And I get it. I, I know that's true logically. But, but where should they have taken their questions? To their father. And where you and I take our questions determines your direction and ultimately your destination. Let me say that again because when I heard this, it resonated with me very deeply. Where you take your questions determines your direction and ultimately your destination. Jesus tells a story of two men, two brothers. And they had questions. Same questions you and I have. As we read this story, I want you to be aware of the questions that they ask. It's found in Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, um, we have them at the hub we just want to get God's word into your hand. It's important, even though that this is on the screen and you uh, hear behind me, um, I encourage you to open up your Bibles or the app on your phone and, and go to Luke 15 so you can follow along, even though it's on the screen. You can have it kind of there with you too, just to get to know God's word there. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, now, what's the young son saying right there? Some of the things that you know, if this is the first time you heard the story, let me tell you, is essentially when this younger son came to his father, he said, listen, I know that I'm supposed to get my half of the estate once you're dead, but I wish you were dead and just give it to me now. So this young son comes up to his father, and what's he got questions for? He's got a question about, what am I here for? Like, what am I doing? I know I want money, right? Money and wealth is what I deserve. That's what he says. He's going to take that question. What am I here for? He's going to say, I know it's to have this stuff. And you and I have been there. 
So he takes it. Look, let's go. Keep going. Uh, verse 13. A few days later, his young, the, his, the youngest son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. So this young son takes these questions. Do I have worth? Do I have value? And he takes the question and he throws it at wild living, it says. So it's prostitutes, it's, it's, it's drinking, it's gambling, who knows. We, he's just at the party scene. That's where I'm going to find value and worth in just living it up. Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And the questions that I see rattling around in this young man's mind is what? Who am I? And do you, know, do you see how he answers it? I am my past mistakes. I know. I am my failures. I am not a son. I'm barely worth being called a slave. And this young man, with the same questions my cousin had, that I have, that you have, he took those questions to his circumstances. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long, a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to he, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost. But now he's found. So the party began. So he takes a ring which is a, the, with, the, with the family crest on it and, and robes and sandals, and he puts it on his feet. He says, but you're a son. So, so who answers the questions that this young man was asking? Who is it in the story that answers the questions? It's his father. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned from home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all of that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And you know what I see in this older brother? Because he's got questions too, the same ones you and I have asked. And this older brother's asking the question, how am I supposed to live? 
And he takes his questions to the same place that you and I are tempted to. I know. How am I supposed to live? I will work to gain my father's approval. I'll bust my hump. I'll double down in my hard work and in my religious activities so that I may earn my place in this family. Verse 31. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. These men take their questions to so many places and they missed the one person, the one place that had the power to answer and satisfy every single one of their questions. And that was to their dad. So we asked the question, who am I? And the father screams back, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you are my son. You are my daughter. And we say, well, why am I here? Like, what's my purpose? And our good dad in heaven says, you're here to fulfill the purposes as my son and my daughter. And everything that you do for me flows out of your identity as my son and my daughter. And we say, okay, but where do I belong? I'm lonely. I feel isolated. Nobody understands me. Where do I belong? Who's with me? And our good father in heaven says, look around. You belong in this community with my other sons and my other daughters. We say, well, how should I live? The deepest questions of our soul, how should I live? And our dad, our dad, our heavenly father, says, you live as my son and as my daughter. And until you know your true identity as a son and daughter of a really good dad in heaven, taking our deepest questions to him, then you will not be able to live as a son or daughter. Teenagers in the room, you've asked these questions. I promise you, your friends are struggling with these questions. Tell them about their good father. Because I don't want to hear a couple years from now that the number of teens who are being taken to the hospital for attempting to take their own life is doubling still. Parents, Your teenagers are asking this question and they are taking it to every source you can imagine and many that you can't. You get with your teenagers and you ask them the question, how are you really? Because we have have an enemy who is having them take those questions and it's the wrong place. In 2017, 
the age group of people who committed suicide the most, the highest number of suicides was among the age group of 45 to 54. Ladies and gentlemen, we need some help. And we need to help each other ask the right questions and take them to the right source. Do you know what the second age group, the highest number of suicides in this age, the second age group was those 85 years old and older. If you have aging parents, ask them. Because they have a good father in heaven who delights in his sons and daughters. Everything our father has is ours. He's a good dad. And he delights in you. So we're going to go to a time of reflection and, and, and I want to ask you to consider a, a couple of things real quick as we wrap up here. Number one, if you have considered suicide, or if you are feeling those feelings, here, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to tell someone. Tell someone. Staying silent, the voice that is in your head saying, don't tell, they won't listen, they'll, they'll, they'll laugh at you, they won't take it seriously. That's the voice of the evil one. And he hates you. Silence is your enemy. He's a liar. People care about you. And they will take you seriously. Tell them how you're feeling. Number two, check on someone. Teenagers, parents, adults, you check on someone. Check on the people that you love. And look at that insert in your program as a tool to speak life into them. If you want to know more about what it looks like to surrender your life to a good dad in heaven who loves you, to surrender to baptism and live freely as a son and daughter, if you've never made that decision, but you'd be interested in looking at what that means, we actually have a baptism conversation happening at the next hour, right here at 11 o'clock in room 220, right back this hall. Go. Finally, take your questions to God. Take your questions to God and lead the people you care about to do the same. Pray with me. Father, Dad, Dad, We have so many questions. We have so many questions, Father, that eat at us, but we need you. I thank you that you call me a son, that every man in this room is a son, that you love so desperately, that every woman in this room is a daughter that you delight in. God, I thank you for that truth, for that identity. 
help me to know it's true. Help us, Father, to know that it's true. And that anything else, any other voice that tries to persuade us otherwise is a liar from the voice of the evil one. So solidified in our hearts, good dad, who we are in you. And may that breathe life, abundant, full life into us. Father, we love you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.